Welcome to Getting Curious. I'm Jonathan Van Ness, and every week I sit down for a 40-minute conversation with a brilliant expert to learn all about something that makes me curious. On today's episode, I'm joined by six-time Olympic medalist and captain of the Fierce Five and Final Five gymnastics teams, Allie Raisman, where I ask her, am I your favorite non-binary gardener slash gymnast? So, if you are driving up, you know where I'm from, they call vehicles vehicles. So if you're in a moving vehicle, uh, I need you to strap yourselves in and don't freak out and don't veer off course because we have like literally one of the most prolific guests of Getting Curious History ever of all time and I'm freaking out. So put your hands together and make so much noise for Allie Raisman. That was the best introduction I ever got my whole life. No! Hi. How are you? I'm, I'm, I'm doing much better, I have to say. Now to be talking to you, I'm so excited that you're here. I'm so excited to be on the podcast. I feel like we've been talking about this for so long. We have. Now, here's the thing. I don't... So that's literally how I reacted the first time I met you on FaceTime when I introduced you and, like, the first two times I saw you in real life. Now, uh, we are actual, like, IRL friends, which I think is kind of amazing um i never saw it coming uh that we would end up being friends and i'm so honored uh to be your friend i i love being friends with you i love our facetimes love our conversations love our hangouts in new york ah you are literally one of my closest phone friends of all time um it's i feel like you and michelle kwan are right there for like I just, I, I have to pinch myself and my face hurts after I think about you too. Cause I just can't believe that we, I just, you know, I idolized you like since 2010. It's been a decade since I've been obsessed so with you. No, it's true. You are one of the most prolific gymnasts of all time. And I really want to talk about like all things gymnastics, but I want to first just hit, um, one thing that you've been Instagramming about lately that I am also obsessed with lately, which is gardening. I love gardening. Oh, it's so relaxing and it just makes me feel so grateful. I I've always like the last couple of years, I would say I've been really into gardening. My mom was the one that introduced me to it, but especially during this quarantine, it's been something that has just really helped me get through every single day. I just, I love it so much. When did you start? Same during this. Now, do you do your gardening in like the ground or do you do it on like a balcony because you live in a city? Like, what's your deal? So I do it on a balcony and I have different um, planters and stuff outside, but I also have stuff indoor. I have, you know, little small pots that I grow inside. I counted the other day. I'm like obsessed. I have like 85 different small pots growing inside with like a ton of different seeds. I am literally obsessed. It makes me so happy. And my mom and my dad have a garden outside backyard. So uh, I go back home and, and check theirs out too. I just, I love it. When did your mom get you? Were you little when you, she got you into it or was it more recent? It was more recent in the last couple of years, but my mom just got really into it the last couple of years. My mom, like, made me weed her garden once when I was, like, nine as a punishment, and I've never gotten over it. So I was, I've had, like, an aversion to gardening, like, ever since, but now I'm really into it. Um, One thing I learned about is, like, outer circle behaviors, which is, like, the behaviors that you do that are, like, just really life-affirming and soul-affirming and are just, like, fun and that you look forward to them. So like air track is one for me. Figure skating is one. And gardening would also be one that I would say I've newly added because I just it reminds me of what you say when you talk about 
that is just so fun. And it's just like, I can't imagine how you put this little seed in the dirt and then she turns into this literal thing that we eat or look at that's pretty, but my cats eat flowers and barf, so I don't, I can't grow flowers. Really? Inside. I, I, I totally agree with you. I think it is such a, it's like a miracle. You know, one of my favorite quotes is, that you can live every day as if it's a miracle or you can choose to live every day as if it's not a miracle. And I just love finding the the everyday magic. I think it's so beautiful. And I also think it really relates to everyday life too, because the day you plant the seed is not the day you get the fruit or the vegetable or the flower. And it's about being patient. Mm. And I just think that's super important for, it's helpful for me in my everyday life to remember that. And I'm someone where I'm very type A personality. So sometimes being patient is not something that comes easily to me. I'm, I'm very persistent. And so working on just being patient and practicing gratitude is really one of my favorite things I've learned from gardening, but I'm literally growing everything. Like I have cucumbers, zucchini, cauliflower, broccoli, Ugh. flowers, snap peas, green beans, gold beans. I didn't even know that was a thing until recently. Uh, every, like everything. I, I was eating strawberries the other day. I took the seeds from the strawberries and I dried them. Now I'm trying to <gasps> grow them. I am just, I want to have every like produce from my garden. I just did that to an avocado. I took the, the thing out of the avocado. <gasps> I put it in the water. Then I put the toothpaste in. It's literally growing. I, it didn't work when I tried yes, that. No way. Yes. It's, I, I'll take a picture. It's amazing. <sighs> um, I'm growing like the carrots, the peas, the cucumbers, the jalapenos. The the cucumbers are really vivacious. They're coming up so fast. And the tomatoes. Um, obsessed with gardening. Okay, but wait. Now I want to talk about this other thing that I'm obsessed with. Do you know what it is? Gymnastics, maybe? You you and gymnastics. So <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> for the people that don't know, because maybe like some people that are listening, like we're born under a rock and they don't understand like the competitive world of gymnastics. They don't understand because like, you know, a lot of people just don't know. So here's how it works. And tell me if I'm wrong. But basically okay. when you start getting into like gymnastics, like when you're a little, little baby girl or boy, there it's like, you know, the levels, honey, it's like level one, level two, level three, level four, all the way up to 10. And then after 10, it's elite. And then like elite is like when you're doing like visa, honey, PG and E, the cover girl classic, the, like the U S championships, worlds, Pan Am, like that's right. Right. Yes, that's right. But most gymnasts will just try to go to level 10. And then after level 10 is the, then you go to the collegiate level. But there's only about, I feel like, around 70 elites in the country. So most gymnasts are not elite gymnasts. Mm -hmm. Work, yes. Is there a way that you can say to people who don't speak, like, gymnastics terms as easily, like, what is, like, the move on, let's say, floor exercise, for instance, that differentiates a level 10 from an elite? Is it, like, what is it? That's a really good question. So level 10 is still extremely hard difficult. This, yes, yes. Because you're doing still like double extremely, tucks. Extremely, extremely hard. Yes. I would say just to uh, clarify, I think, so level 10 is still obviously extremely, extremely difficult, but I think the extra level of going elite is really that level of you want to take it to try to go to the Olympics. And it really requires more training than uh, you normally would do. So I would do workouts sometimes twice a day, or uh, you have to 
train harder skills, as you were saying. But I think making that jump from level 10 to elite is a huge commitment, not only for myself, but also for my family and my parents driving me to and from practice all the time. It's kind of like it takes a whole village. And then my coaches would have me do extra hours of training. So they would come into the gym. So it's really just like a whole other you're adding on a whole other thing to your plate. So it's a, it's a really big decision. But I think one of the biggest differences would be, I think a common tumbling pass would be a double back or in a tuck position, which is two flips in a row in the air and a double pike, which is when your legs are straight, two flips in the air. And I think, you know, some level 10 gymnasts will do the full in or the Arabian. They do? I think yes, yes, some do. Yes, in the in the um, collegiate level, they do double layout. Yes, some, girl. Yes, can I tell you this one time? Do you remember like? And wait, we have to go back to this, but I just have to. I just have to ask. Wait, because you were yes. born in nine. Four, 94. 94. Okay. I feel like the year yes. that you were born when you were zero years old, or maybe when you were two, I was watching this gymnastics meet. Cause like in the mid nineties, there were these fierce meets on NBC that would be like the U S versus China versus Russia, or it'd be like France, China, U S. They'd just be like a random three countries, like teams, like just doing a little like practice meet. I don't know if they did that in like your time, but it would be like on random Saturdays. And I'd be like, Oh my God, so excited. But I remember the first girl that I saw do an Arabian. I remember the commentators were like, Ooh, is she going to do it? Is she not? not going to do it. And I remember she went for it and like, but it was like 94, 95 or 96. And I remember all the commentators were like, I can't believe she like tried it. She, she kind of, she sat it down, but they were just like freaking out that she even like went for it. I remember it was like amazing. I can't believe. So she was the first person to ever do it. Well, maybe that they had. So I don't remember if it was like the first person ever, but I just remember that she went for a double Arabian and she sat it down and it like wasn't nationals and it wasn't Olympics. It was just like at a meet on a weekend. And the commentators were like, they were just like, dang, like I can't believe she went for it. And it was, I just, yeah, such a cool skill. Tell everybody what an Arabian is. Okay, yes, that's what we're getting. So, okay. So, it's so interesting explaining this. Okay, so it is, so you do a round off back handspring, and then you do a back flip with a half twist, but while you're still in the air, you do a double front out of it. Yeah. Okay, but wait. So, so for the people that don't know what a round off back handspring is, that's like a cartwheel, but your feet come together in the middle is the round off. Okay. Then your okay. back handspring is like a back flip with your hands. And then the Arabian yes. is, so you're like, your face, you're going backwards. And then what happens? And then you do a half twist. Uh, and then it's funny. I'm like on the Zoom call that we're on right now. I'm like showing Jonathan how you do it <laughs> um, in my seat. Uh, so I have my arms up. So you do a half twist and then you do a double front, but your legs are in a tuck position. But what makes it so difficult is it's what they call a blind landing. So... With, if you're doing any kind of like no twisting, full twisting, two, you know, two twisting or double twisting is how they call it. Uh, you can see, you can spot the landing, but anytime there's a half twist, a one and a half twist, two and a half twist, there's a blind landing. So it makes it more difficult because you can't spot the floor as easily as you would have been if you weren't doing a half twist. So basically, okay. Yes. So basically what, if I, what I hear you saying is like, a lot of, I mean, level 10 is like extremely, extremely hard, super duper challenging, yes. but then to make it from level 10 to even decide to go to elite is like, it's kind of a family decision. It's like, it's a lot. It's because it is, it's 
so highly competitive. And also it's like the college routines versus like the elite routines are like the elite ones last way longer. Like it's just like what you have to you're you have to be so much stronger. It's like it's just it's crazy, super duper hard. The collegiate level is really about the perfect 10. And so their form is just impeccable. And it's all about sticking the landing where an elite it's really about, of course, still trying to be really clean and getting a good execution score, but they combine the execution score with the difficulty score. So the collegiate level and, um, you know, all the levels, you know, all the way up to level 10 are still out of the perfect 10. But when you get to the elite level, they combine the execution score, which is how, you know, well you execute it. And, you know, if your toes are pointed, your knees are straight, all that stuff is out of the 10. But then they add that with the difficulty score, which combines to maybe a 15 is a really good score, for example. Girl. So it's just a different scoring. That's literally, I've never heard anyone explain it to me like that. And that is so genius. Yeah, so all of them are out of 10, except for when you get to elite. And then it's why it's like the 14, whatever, and the yellow score or the green score, because it's like, uh, okay, wait. So let's go back to you. So you're minding your own business in Massachusetts. You are training, honey. And in your book, which is amazing, you talk about how like you had to, you just worked so hard. Like you're in Massachusetts and I had, when I learned how to tumble, which I talk a lot about in my book, I had this um, coach tell me because I'm like six feet tall and I was like, had no core strength and I would just hurl myself backwards um, with just like a prayer. And she said to me, she was like, <laughs> she's like, I've never seen someone learn how to like, she's like, I've never seen someone with less natural talent, learn how to tumble. You get over on sheer determination is what she said to me. Cause like, I just had no natural ability. I had to like, <laughs> like, like she was like, you just work really hard. So you obviously have, well, that's a good compliment. It was, but you have, I think it is, but you had major natural ability because you're like, you know, the first, you and Gabby Douglas were the first uh, American gymnast to ever win back-to-back team gold medals. You, like, literally were the first. Um, yeah, so you obviously had natural talent, but you just talk about how you really had to work. You were the hardest worker around. Well, so it's funny because when you just said that about um, what you you said it was your coach, correct? Yeah. So my coach would say the same thing, though. He always would joke. He's, he would say, you're the most uncoordinated Olympian I've ever seen in my whole entire life. Because when I was younger, my worst event was actually floor. And I struggled so much. And I also had a lot of fears in gymnastics, too. It was so scary for me. And I don't think people realize how scary it can be because the beam is four inches wide. You know, when you fall, when you slip off the bars and you and you fall on your face, it's really scary to have the courage to go back and do it again. So I had a lot of fears And I also really struggled. It took me a long time to get the skills. You know, some of my teammates would get a skill in a few weeks and it would literally take me three years to get it. So, uh, you know, when I talk about patience, those things were really helpful when I was younger, but it was really difficult for me because it's hard to be in a group with other gymnasts who are getting skills so much quicker than you. And to for me, I was so slow that I really had to learn from a young age to kind of go my own path and not compare myself to other people. But that can be really hard so when you're young hard. and you don't understand. Yes. I, in my book, I was talking about how like, because when I first started cheerleading, I couldn't tumble. And then in order to try out for the squad where like um, you could cheer like for football and basketball so that I could cheer year round and like be with my new friends like all the time, I had to learn how to do back handspring. And that's like why. So mm-hmm. I didn't learn how to do it till I was like, 14, 15. And so I can't imagine like 
starting at like four or five and like that's just so much patience and so much persistence to learn so you started two I started two yes but I guess I mean I would have never so I guess for me I was just comparing myself to you because I'm delusional but yeah starting at two <laughs> that's just so much patience to learn um okay so we're gonna take a really quick break and then we'll be right back with more Ellie Reason right after the break Welcome back to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Venice. We are with Allie Raisman. So you're in Massachusetts. You're working super duper hard. And so basically what I wanted to ask is like, what was your first national, like your first nationals, your first P and G year, your first, um, I've seen on Instagram a bajillion times, like this clip of you doing your beam routine from your first nationals. And it's so cute. And you're so cute. But anyway, you have to tell us all about it. Where were you? What was the year, honey? I'm pretty sure your Leos were purple that year. Okay, so my first junior national championships at the elite level was in 2009. And... I believe it was in Dallas, the national championships. I was so, so nervous the months leading up to it. I was, I was so scared. I had never competed before at that huge level. I was so, you know, excited, but also I couldn't believe it was here because as a little girl, I obviously dreamed of competing at that elite level. And so it it goes by so quickly when you, you can't even believe that it's actually there. And so I ended up competing. There's two days of competition. And so the first day of competition went really well. I was in second place, which was a huge shock to me because I didn't expect to do that well. Then the next day I actually fell on my last event on floor. I stuck my first pass, my Arabian. I stuck the Arabian. I was so excited and so pumped up that I went for my second pass and I did the triple twist and I went literally to my back. My feet barely hit the floor because I was so excited and I just knew that I was, or I didn't know, but I was hoping I was going to get top three. It's okay, Jonathan. It's okay. Oh. It worked out. It's all oh. good. It's all a learning experience. But I can't you, believe you that, that to has to hurt so bad. Like when you're doing a triple twist and your feet hit, did, you, did, the, did the wind get knocked out of you? I had so much, I had so much adrenaline and you just, I just went right back and kept going. I don't really remember. I'm sure it did. I think I was more kind of in shock of I can't believe I just fell because floor was my best event. And it was such a good learning experience for me because I realized that, you know, before I went, I was, I was uh, really excited and I was like, oh my God, this is my first nationals and I'm going to do really well. I'm going to get top three on the podium. And I got so excited that I forgot that you still have to do your job at the competition. Like it doesn't matter how good you are on paper. If you don't perform well, it doesn't matter. And so even that with the fall, I was still third, which I was so excited about. But I just, I learned I have to control my nerves a little bit better. And it's interesting because I think in other sports, it's a good thing to get really pumped up and be really excited. But in gymnastics, it's actually not a good thing to be super hyper or, you know, because you want to feel more calm. You just kind of want to feel like it's another day. Otherwise, you go flying yeah. off the equipment. So, okay, wait. So then isn't 2010 your first Worlds? Yes. Yes. Literally the next year after your first year at Junior Nationals, you make the World Team, which is just like not an easy thing to do. It was, it was so interesting because I feel like I was just so focused my whole entire life. And now that I'm out of it, I just... Do you ever look back at a time when you worked really hard and you're just thinking, I don't know how I did it. I just was so focused 
And it was just, I, when I put my mind to something, I wanted to do everything I could to do it. So yeah, we went to world championships. I was 16 years old and I was just, it was just so surreal. Uh, it was, it was pretty crazy. Yeah. We actually went, we got second in the team, Russia won. And it's crazy. I think that was my only experience of not winning being a part of USA Gymnastics, which is insane um, how dominant we were as a gymnastics team. It's just, I think I appreciate it so much more that I'm out of it of how difficult that was to do that. But it is, it's so, it's so crazy because at the time we got silver and I felt like it seemed like it was such a disappointment. Now when I look back, I'm like, we were second in the world and that's so exciting. And I have such a different perspective on it now, but it was, it's just interesting to look back and, now so when you do worlds so that so people know basically um when a team goes to worlds the first day is like qualifying so that's like when isn't mm -hmm. it usually like four up and then three count for an event i believe so so actually that's the olympics so or that was the olympics before they changed it to four people so i believe there was around, I think there was six girls on the team at world championships. They've changed it so much yeah. throughout the years and they keep decreasing the amount of gymnasts allowed on the team. And I had enough room in my heart as a little seven, eight, nine-year-old Gaby to be obsessed with the Magnificent Seven. All seven of them. I've got room. Oh, me too. Yeah, I mean, come on. Like, we all do. Like, what? come on. I know. I, I was obsessed with the Magnificent okay, but Seven wait. as well. So the first day of Worlds or Olympics basically... The point of what I was trying to say is like the so the first day is qualifying and then that's where you can qualify for the individual all around and then the team yes. or the event finals. Individual event finals. Yes. So the first day of qualifications is extremely important because if you don't perform well on that day, you might not make any event finals. And so you could be number one in the world on, let's say, bars. But if you compete in qualifications and you fall on bars or make a big enough mistake, that you're not top eight. You have to be top eight on each event final. You do not advance the event final. So you have to be top eight on the event finals or top 24 in the all around. However, there's the two per country rule, which is also so difficult because, for example, this happens a lot with the American gymnasts is even if, let's say, you, the Americans get top three in the world, each of them go one, two, three, the third American gets bumped and cannot perform in the all-around final. And they do that because they want to, you know, have more um, gymnasts from other countries compete in the all-around final, which I think is awesome. But I also think if you're top three in the world, you should be able to perform in the all-around final. Yeah, that's happened to tons of prolific gymnasts. So then in 2010, you get silver in team. Did you do event finals this time? I did. So... I actually finished qualified third overall the first day in the all-around. So I all-around finals. Girl. I was so shocked and I couldn't believe it. It's in the Netherlands, right? Yes. So it's Because I always think about jet lag when you guys travel. And I always just think about like yes. having to film Queer Eye like after traveling a lot, which is not tumbling. Um, I kind of have run into that like tumbling on tour, but isn't it hard? I mean, because you're doing such high level stuff. Like how long do you get there before the competition to make sure you don't get like food poisoning or or just super tired and stuff? 
That's a great question. So the jet lag was so difficult. You know, I remember one year we actually went to Australia and we got off the plane and we have a workout that day. That's really always how it was. And so it was a lighter workout, but I think that the coach's idea of lighter workout isn't really a light workout. I remember it was, it's brutal because it's also really dangerous. When I was in Australia, you know, even just a couple of days in, you're so jet lagged. And I've had the pleasure of going back to Australia for fun. And even when you're not tumbling and, and doing anything for work, it's still the jet lag hits you differently every single time. But when you're competing, I remember there was several times where I was like totally wiping out. And by wiping out, for those of you who don't know, it's like you literally have no idea where you are in the air. Your body's so confused. You're so exhausted. I remember I was like falling on my head, you know, just like totally, you know, when you're on the beam, for example, if you're doing a, it's called a front tuck on beam, which is a front flip, you might totally miss the side of the beam because it's only four inches wide. Like your body is so off. So that is so difficult. So we get there. It is so difficult. So we get there probably around, you know, maybe like two and a half to three weeks before. But before that, we're at training camp for nine to 10 days before we leave for world championships or the Olympics. But when I say we're there for like two and a half, it's not two and a half to three weeks before the competition. It's just that's pretty much we're there uh, for the whole time like for a, a few weeks in the foreign country. So your first day of, like a week, before. like a week. I think so. Yeah. I mean, it kind of depends, but I would say probably around a week because you have qualification day in between team final day in between all around final. And then the event final. So gymnastics is stretched over a long period of time. And if you're someone who makes a lot of the event finals, really, it's really survival of the fittest when it comes down to those moments at the Worlds or the Olympics because there's so much pressure that the jet lag, the pressure, let alone the exhaustion of training is so consuming and so much to handle that it's hard to stay kind of like fresh throughout that process. Um, Okay, I have one more question. This one's about um, like Pan Am games. Is there ever a time where like if they assign you to an event and you're like, I can't be going all the way there right now and still do worlds like two months after that. Can you be like, can you send someone else? Like mommy's really tired or do you have to go if like they send you to a meet? Or like that, you don't know so, that cute Joe Silo one where I really like that signage at that Joselo one event. Yeah, yeah. Like they ever leave it. I went to, I went to the Italy competition. I believe I went five times and it's every year um, in March. So, you know, I, I think I competed at Pan Am's a couple of times and my first international competition was actually in Brazil uh, when I think it was 2009, but it's really not one of those things where you can say, I don't think that I, I think I'm too tired. It's very much just, this is the way that they see the preparation for the Olympics because everything, even world championships, of course, worlds is, such an honor and so important, but the USA Gymnastics is always thinking about the Olympic Games. That's the one every four years. That's the big one. So competing at the World Championships, it's always in the back of their mind, the national staff of who can handle the pressure for the Olympics. And so even a World Championships, let's say if you compete there and uh, you do really well, they're going to put that in the back of their mind for this person can handle the pressure. So you kind of want to constantly prove yourself to them. But we had training camp 
around once a month. Uh, and year we, around? we called it. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. We'd have, you know, like December was no training camp. And, you know, after Worlds, we didn't have training camp until <clears throat> January. World Championships are usually in October. So we had that little bit of time off, but it's not like we're vacationing. We're still training and preparing for the next thing. The thing about gymnastics that's so difficult is there's really no off season. So even if you don't have a competition for three months, you really do have to start slowly preparing because getting into a full routine shape, like getting into a floor routine, you don't, I couldn't just walk into a gym now after not doing a floor routine for a couple of years and just do a floor routine. I would probably break every bone in my body. I would never want to do that. I'd be too scared, but to do a floor routine, you have to do tumbling passes separately than you have to, we would practice tumbling passes on the uh, tumble strip. You know what that is, where yeah. it's a little bit, a little bit bouncier and a little bit of a softer landing for your body. And then you do the tumbling passes on the floor separately. Then you add in your, you do your routine just with roundup back handspring layouts for endurance instead of your difficult tumbling passes. So you do that a couple of times, and you do that probably for a few weeks to get the endurance going. And then you slowly add in one tumbling pass with the other three passes, run up, I can't spring layout. Then you slowly add in the two passes then the three passes and then the four and the fourth tumbling pass is so, so, so difficult that it's a very, very slow progression. And you do that on every event. You're always like a round up, I can't spring double pike girl for your last pass. Yes. Oh my God. Wait, we have to take a really quick break and then we'll be right back with more other reason right after this. So welcome back to Getting Curious with John Minute. So then, so you're in the Netherlands and in 2011, you come back, you're 17, you go to Tokyo, you make the team, you make the world team, you're minding your own business, and then you guys do win gold that year. Yeah, you win the shit did, out yes. of it in 2011. <laughs> and then, did you do all around that year too? Or no? I did. Wait, yes. Yeah, so we actually didn't. So in 2010, though, I finished third the first day. So the first day of qualifications, it doesn't matter if you're number one, if you don't do it on the actual day of the all around front of the event final, it doesn't matter. The scores don't carry over. over. Yeah. Yeah. That's the word I'm looking for. The scores don't carry over. So in 2010, I actually ended up falling on bars and I ended up getting 13th in the all around. Uh, it's okay. It's it, okay. It, no big deal. It's okay. Yes. Yeah, that's it's your okay. fault. That's but... how you learn. I'm just a super fan. I'm okay, sorry. I can't I help so, it. I just reacted. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm so right. nervous. It's okay. Cause you were a baby. So, so yeah. It's so nerve wracking. There's nothing like competing in the all around final at a world's or the Olympics. That's, it's Mustafina won terrifying. that year. In 2010. She did. She did. Yes, she did. And Rebecca Bross got, did she, got bronze, I believe. Oh, did she? bronze. Oh, good for her. So you (laughs) end up getting third. And then what happened in event finals? I bet you made floor and beam at least. I made floor finals. And I remember I got fourth Um, on floor. Yeah. So this is, this is sort of where it started. I've gotten fourth so many times in my career. I was, but it was also sort of interesting because I didn't expect to, really get any individual medals or anything. So to see myself have the potential of getting an all-around medal was really exciting. And even I was really, really disappointed, obviously, at the time. And I think when you're younger and you're working really hard, I think my identity was really wrapped up in my results as a gymnast. And so I was obviously so bummed, but I was really hungry to come back and do more for the next year. So Tokyo made the all-around final again. And I made beam and floor finals, and I got fourth on beam, fourth in the all around, uh, and third 
on floor. The and gay metal. I remember, yes, I was so excited about the metal, but I was devastated about the all around because I fell or messed up again. I don't remember if I fell or I messed up again on bar. So I felt so defeated. And then I went to the 2012 Olympics. Oh, yes, you did. I made a mistake in the um, all around on beam. What was your mistake on beam? I did a front pike and I touched the beam, okay, so you- which is almost the same deduction as a fall. But this actually, there's a good part of the story. It gets better. So I ended up tying for third. Gymnastics is the only score, uh, the only sport where they break the tie. So I saw myself tied for third uh, with Aliyah Mustafina, who's a Russian gymnast. And they broke the tie. Aliyah got the medal. I got bumped to fourth. Again, I was so, so crushed devastated. Correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't the way that they break the tie, they pick a random event out of the four and whoever got higher on that one event that they pick, isn't that who wins? I think that they actually took whoever had the highest scoring, whoever had the highest score uh, of an individual event. So because she's so good on on bars, she got such a high score. Yes. Yeah. So it's okay. Know, Again, it's but see, I, I'm telling this story because I want to show that it took me five times, but I finally got my all around medal because then in 2015, I didn't even make the all around final at the world championships because uh, the first day I messed up in qualification, I had like one of the worst meets of my life. And then 2016, I finally got my silver medal in the all around. So I wanted to share that because it, it took me five times and I was, it made it that much sweeter. And I always felt so defeated after every single time. But then I realized that I like to believe everything happens for a reason. And I think the moment I stopped comparing myself to other people and stopped competing with other people and really just focusing on myself and actually just thinking I'm going to do this for myself and just enjoy the competition, then I ended up doing better and I didn't put so much pressure on myself and it ended up working out. So it was just that much more special. Okay, so that's really... That's amazing. But also, I guess I didn't realize in all of the time that I spent obsessing that really. So when speaking about the time I spent obsessing, but it's like, but it's like when it comes to an individual all around medal, that that is true, because like 10, 11, 12, and then you took 13, 14 off 15. 15, You did. You didn't qualify for individual. And then, okay. Cray, cray. I did not realize that. So now we got the fourth out of the way, which, ouch. But let's talk about some of the... Okay. I know. I feel like I was doing a deep dive of your skills on YouTube a while ago. <laughs> and I feel like it was a... You were doing the um, the alley, the famed alley pass, which is my all-time favorite tumbling pass ever of any kind. Really? Yeah. I'm so honored. Yeah, oh, that's it's, so sweet. So it's Thank the most you. iconic that's pass. So nice. I've never seen someone else do oh it. So what it is, is it's like it's like a... I can't remember if it's like two steps or if it's just like a punch hurdle, but it's like a, it's like a, it's like a round off one and a half twisting step out mm-hmm. round off back handspring, double Arabian punch layout front. Yes. So in YouTube though, I feel like I saw you competing the alley pass without the punch front for like a year or two. Mm-hmm. So at what point did you figure out that that was so consistent and so baller that you could put a layout on the front of it? That's or the a end great of question. it? So just as I was talking about how when you do the floor routine, you don't just do the floor routine out of the blue. You have to slowly do it. So this pass was something that my coaches and I were working on for years. And it's funny, my coaches, Mihai and Sylvie, we all had this idea. And when... 
uh, my coaches would would tell some of the other coaches about it that I was trying to do it and I was going to do it. They would say, you're crazy. That's impossible. She's not going to do it. And uh, so I would slowly, I actually originally did a round off half twist step out into a double pike before I added in the one and a half twist just to kind of get that feeling. And then because from a very young age, I was always very, uh, I was always a really good twister on floor. So I did, I actually used to do um, three and a half twists instead of a triple twist. So I was such a good twister from a young age that that's something that came more natural to me. But because I was such a good twister, what happens in gymnastics is sometimes you get a little bit lost in the air. So, so if you're doing a lot of twists and you're doing one flip and three twists, Sometimes doing like one single flip with one twist, I wasn't able to do it. I would twist too much. So if I would try to do a full twist, I would do a double twist or a two and a half and I would get confused in the air. So the round off half twist was because I couldn't really stop myself in the in the opening my legs to step into the round off was a way for me to stop myself from twisting too much. So that's how we figured out the one and a half twist. Because if I tried to do a round off back handspring one and a half twist without the step out, I think I would do a two and a half. I just couldn't stop myself from twisting, but the step out helped me stop myself from twisting. So then we would do, I did a one and a half step out to double back. And then we slowly added the Arabian. But then for a while I did Arabian round up back handspring Arabian punch front separately. And I would do that onto um, the tumbling strip, which is not the floor. It's a little bit bouncier and the mats are a little bit softer. So it's a little, it's less dangerous when you're trying something like that. And also for any gymnasts that are listening, I don't recommend again, trying this out of the blue. I did a lot of drills. So I would, and drills are like what we say in gymnastics of how do you would, how would you describe a drill? It's like, it's like a repeated exercise to get a movement. But it's a drill to drill. I feel like other athletes would know what that is. Yeah. Okay. So I would stand on on a high block and I would jump off of it and do punch front, punch front to get the movement of two, like punching out of something. So constantly Mihai, Mihai is brilliant with conditioning and he's so creative and he was so good at helping me mimic that feeling of like landing a, a punch front and doing another punch front. And sometimes I would do three punch fronts in a row. And I think the visualization of it is really important to you, but you have to make sure that you're strong enough to be able to do that because it is so difficult and it's so dangerous. So as soon as I got comfortable doing the Arabian, then I would separately do Arabian punch front. And then I think we just slowly started trying it. And then we added in the punch layout because Mihai thought and Sylvie thought, that the layout was more beautiful than the punch front. So you were right. Yeah, they sure were, honey. And everyone gagged. So in 2012, <clears throat> the whole thing with the all around happens. And then the floor, because the floor was before beam, right? Or was beam before floor? No, it was after I got fourth on beam. Oh, no, I didn't. Yeah, I know. That's the whole thing. Originally, but wait, yes, but wait, yes. but wait, but floor was first. It was first. No, 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 no. Floor was second. Beam was first. Was so those the same I day or those different days? Same day. Oh, my fucking, day. what a day you had, bitch. Oh, my God. I think you were going to so you, so you get there. So you get there. And, okay. and, and be, wait, so which one was first? August 7th. Yes, it was a lucky day. August 7th, 2012. Time. It's August 7th, 2012 yes, in London. In London. Yeah. And Beam is first. Beam is first. And I, I feel like I was at the end. I might have. I think I was last on Beam. 
Uh, it's so funny. Sometimes when I say things, I'm like, the gymnastics fans know it more than me. You probably remember it and better I think than Catalina me. Ponar, did, last- didn't Catalina Ponar come back and like, didn't she win in 2012 on beam? No, I, I tied with her for third place and uh, then they broke the tie and I got the medal. Yes. So she originally was third and she came back. Catalina Ponar was, and has always been one of my absolute favorite gymnasts. She is the 2004 beam champion and um, floor champion, Olympic champion. She was incredible, just amazing. I actually had her floor music growing up because she was one of my idols and I loved watching her. And then I ended up competing with her in the beam final and we tied for third. So the all around final was just a couple nights before where I had gotten fourth and the tiebreaker didn't go my way. So I was just thinking, oh my gosh, this is such a bummer. This is brutal. So then... Uh, Mihai put in the inquiry for my score, and I believe it was my full turn that was the problem. They didn't give me credit for it. So an inquiry, they complained about the score. And I believe it was actually one of the first, it either was one of the first times or the first time that the panel had accepted USA Gymnastics inquiry, and it actually went our way. So what happened was they ended up watching, they replayed the video in slow motion, and they decided to give me credit for the full turn. And then I ended up, um, getting the higher score. So Catalina ended up getting fourth. I got third, which I, which I was super excited with the third place. Obviously I, don't, I was so excited. Well, cause like, I don't remember where you were in the, in the place. I, I think you were last, but I just remember sobbing when the inquiry came your way. I was mm-hmm. so nervous and I was watching it on NBC. Like it made me so emo- like my 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 heart. I think all of American gymnastic fans' hearts were in our. Yes, we love Catalina, but it's not your fault, honey. You had to get that bronze. You had to do the inquiry with your. We should have both got it. Well, we should have both gotten the bronze medal. You know, I just think we both should have gotten the bronze medal because we both got the same score. And I just think she's amazing. No, she is amazing. She really, really is. <laughs> she's amazing. Well, so also, I think that I appreciate you saying that about wanting me to get the medal. I think. You know, for so long, so many people had watched me get fourth over and over. I had gotten it so many times. So it was so exciting that I finally got an individual medal. And I think getting the bronze medal was, um, it sort of felt like I always say winning the bronze medal. Like when you're at the Olympics and you're not expected to win a gold medal, any color is so amazing and it's so awesome. And then actually I had to, we did the medal ceremony and then I had to rush and get ready for floor finals. Yes. So then that happened. So then you come into floor finals and you'd qualified yes. first. I did qualify first. Yeah, Cause yes. no one was stepping to your alley pass. I'm sorry. Well, so I was favored to win floor, but as I said, it doesn't matter how you are on paper, you have to perform it. I remember in the back gym, though, I was kept landing out of the floor. My punch layout was landing out of bounds. So if you land out of bounds, it actually, you don't get credit for, I wouldn't have gotten credit for the punch front. So it's not just like stepping out of bounds as a 10th. If you land out of the floor, the whole skill's gone. Yes. So I was really, really nervous. And I actually asked Mihai if I could take out the punch layout because I was so nervous. And I was just, you're also just so, I was so emotionally drained and just physically exhausted, all the pressure, everything. And I was still pretty beat up from the all around final. I was just so devastated. I was like beyond, it, it was, 
thankfully we had a couple of days in between the all around final and the floor final. Cause I was just not myself. I was so defeated and I felt so guilty because there's two Americans that can be in the all around final. And I felt like I let everyone down. So I was so sad. So thankfully we had a couple of days to get back, but I still felt like my confidence was a little off. So I was asking my coach if I could take out the punch layout and just do the Arabian and uh, my coach, Mihai, just said, you didn't work this hard, literally your whole entire life, to take it out. He's like, if you're going to do it, he, he was like, you're going to do it with everything that you have and really go for it. And so he was like, don't choose today to be a chicken. He's like, you have to just go for it and do it. Are you going to cry? Yeah, it's totally making me well oh up. Oh, my God. Why? <laughs> keep going. Why? No, just keep going. Okay. <laughs> That's so sweet. So... Yeah, I was so nervous and I was really scared. And uh, he just said, you work so hard, go for it. And so I really always had to remember my first step had to be really short because if I got too excited, I would go way too fast and I would go way too long. The hardest part of the floor pass, the first pass when I got it was really keeping it in the floor and staying in bounds. So I did it and I stuck my first pass and I knew as soon as I stuck my first pass that everything else was fine. And it just felt very, it felt like I was flying. And it was to this day, I think the best floor routine of my whole entire life. I just, it was the best that I could have done. And so I was so happy and it just, everything kind of just fell into place in that moment. It was amazing. And so then you find out that you win at what point, cause I feel like your mom went viral in 2012 for her cute yeah. So at what point in the Olympics did you know that your mom went viral for how cute she is when she watches you perform? So it was actually the first day of competition, the qualification when I was competing on bars, because that had been my one of my biggest struggles throughout my She's career. Like, Catch the bar. And so both Catch my parents, <laughs> yeah, both my parents, it's so funny. They NBC has been replaying the Olympics, and so we, you know, we've been watching it a little bit. And it's funny watching my parents. They got so much airtime. It's really funny. <laughs> They're so cute. Like, my dad loves it. He loves it. My dad, like before, obviously before the quarantine, my, you know, my, my dad goes out, he gets recognized like uh, more than me. It's hilarious. <laughs> and he like, he lives for it. He loves it. It's so funny. <clears throat> oh, it's so cute. So when you finish the routine, that's also, I've always said that like, whenever I need a good cry, I always watch your individual all around floor routine mm. for 2016. But anyway, so that happens. And then you take 13 off. And you do Dancing with the Stars, and that's fierce yeah. and fun. Um, and I would talk about that more, but I want to talk more about gymnastics, unless you really have to hit Dancing with the Stars. I really want to talk more about gymnastics. And then 14, you also take uh, Or no, you start training again at 14. I started training, yes, in 14. So it took, I did about a year. It took me about a year, I feel like, for Mihai to really take me seriously. When I would start going into the gym, he would barely, he would kind of like ignore me, but not in the... Like he would say hi to me and we would talk a little bit, but then I would have to like beg for his attention because he wanted to show me that just because I had been to the Olympics, he didn't think that he didn't want me to feel like I, uh, like entitled. he didn't want me to get in my head. Yes. Like he wanted, he wanted me to know that I still had to work hard. It was kind of like starting over because once you stop gymnastics for a year, you have to relearn a lot of things. So it took me months and months of just conditioning. He wouldn't even let me go on the bars for about a year because he didn't want me to get injured. And I felt like Mihai, 
and Sylvie were really smart about my comeback because we did conditioning just for months and months and months before even starting to do skills. But it took me a year for him to really start to get excited because I feel like he almost didn't believe that I was really serious about my comeback. So I really had to prove it to him. And when you say like the level of like gymnasts that go to level 10 versus, you know, elite and the number of two-time Olympic gymnasts is even smaller. I mean, I can think of like Shannon Miller and Dominique Dominique Dawes and uh, Carrie Strug all came back after 92. And Amanda Borden was a alternate in 92 and then she made the team in 96 and then Dominique Dawes and Amy Chow made it again in 2000 which was fierce so they were so Dominique was a three-time Olympian and then which is fierce and then like there's like Oksana Chutsnetseva but she's like not American but she like Catalina Ponar yes 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 Yes. but American gymnasts that that made the team twice it's like Dominique Dawes Shannon Miller um uh, Gabby, Ga- Douglas. Gabby Douglas, you, Amy yes. Chow. Was there anyone in 2000 that came back in 04? Can't remember. 2004 to... Well, Tasha Swipe. Tasha Swipe was... Alternate. And then she, she made did, it because Morgan yes. Weiss broke her butt! Oh my God! Uh, that was so intense. So then in 2015. So 2015, you qualify for Worlds. You make the World Team. And which that's like a huge feat in and of itself. Um, and then mm-hmm. all around you. But then what about what happened in floor final? You had to make floor final, didn't you? I didn't make floor final because the first day of competition, I just we started on floor and I was so nervous. And at that time, I was just putting so much pressure on myself for the comeback. Mm. So I was so obsessed with proving that I was better than I was before that there's such a fine line between working hard and putting pressure on yourself and being working, overworking and being obsessive about it. And I think I just took it a little bit too far. So it was a, a lesson that I learned and I'm glad I learned it before the 2016 Olympics, but I did not make the floor final. Uh, I, I had big mistakes, I think on every single event. So it was pretty, that was a tough time for me as well, but it really taught me to focus on myself and not focus on what other people are doing. That was a really that sucks that I well one sorry you had a bad qualifying meet that day two that fucking team was so fucking good that Maggie Nichols was on fire that meet and that medicine Koshin was really good that meet whatever I'm sorry I just watched on YouTube like three weeks ago accidentally it's fresh on my mind so (laughs) then 2016 you come back you really have like the most amazing Olympics tell us about it yes so Something just clicked differently for me because leading up to the 2016 Olympics, I just wasn't really myself. And normally I was known in the gymnastics world for being really consistent and a good competitor. But when I was competing, when I came back after the um, 2012 Olympics, I just didn't feel like I had that same confidence. I almost felt like I forgot how to compete well. And I felt like I wasn't really doing well under pressure. And so I really, the 2015 Worlds was... Uh, a really good learning experience for me. And I've really learned now that I'm away from the sport, how important it is to make mistakes and to fall because that's how you learn. That's how you become a better competitor. And I think you need those moments in order to grow, but also in order to appreciate the good times too. And so competing in the 2016 Olympics, I just feel like it clicked in the sense of, I just wanted to really 
uh, I knew that if I worked really hard and did the best that I could, that had to be enough, no matter the color. And I just stopped obsessing over winning or getting this score being better than I was in 2012. And I just focused on doing it for myself. And of course, for my teammates in the team final, but something just clicked where I just learned and it's hard to not try to compete against other people when you're, when it's literally a, a scoring system where you are ranked based off of how you compete with other people. But it just, something really clicked for me. And I finally got the all around medal. It was amazing. I actually had the same exact order of competition on every single event as I had in 2012. So I went last on beam in 2016 all around and 2012 all around. So in my head, because I had made a mistake on beam in 2012. And in my head, I was almost thinking, what if this spot is bad luck for me? I have the same exact order. It's hard not to get superstitious when you're so nervous. But I just kind of felt like, you know, I don't know. I think it was the idea of also, you know, competing with Simone, where she's really confident and calm. And just the fact that we were able to do it together. And I felt like, you know, for me getting, I say winning the silver medal, because that was really the best that I could do. And I was so proud of that. And so to be able to do that with her together was just so cool and so awesome. And it was so special. And I started hysterically crying after my quarantine because it was just so, I was, I took me five times and just the devastation of feeling like, because when, when I didn't do well at a competition, as I got older, it wasn't just me that didn't do well. It was, I, I was representing the whole entire country. So I felt like this feeling of letting everyone down. And that's a really hard feeling to have when you're a teenager. And, and then when I finally did it, I was just so happy and it was, it was so special and it made it that much sweeter. It made me feel like all those hard times of not getting the medal were worth it because it made it that much more special. I do want to do a, just a really quick lightning gymnastics round because I got so freaked out about like chatting about your career that I forgot to ask you like some of the other things. What was your favorite skill? Okay. Like what's your favorite skill? Here, like on any of- My first pass on floor. Okay. And then what about your favorite vault? My favorite vault? I do not like vault. I would say I would much rather prefer- But your heaven are so pretty. It's so scary. It terrifies me. I would just rather do a Yurchenko layout without any twisting because it's terrifying. Okay, what about um, uh, how did your back handspring layout get so pretty on lay or on beam? That that's so nice. So that's another funny story of when Mihai started telling other coaches I was going to do it. They said it wasn't possible. So it's funny. Maybe Mihai and I just like proving people wrong, uh, but. The back handspring layout, so Mihai would have me do just like routine after routine on the floor in a row. I would have to do 10 beam routines in a row on the floor. I was so exhausted. It's so tiring, but he would make me do it to the best that I could do it so that you you replicate the feeling. This is the secret to being good on beam. You replicate the feeling of doing it on the floor on the beam. So what makes someone really good on beam is that it doesn't even look like they're doing something on something that's four inches wide. And so I just continued to do it on the floor. And then he created these little, he called them benches and they were lower beams, but they were thicker and a little bit more bounce. So Mihai would actually always use the example of the Chinese gymnasts. Their back handspring layouts were absolutely breathtaking and incredible. And so I would try to watch the other gymnasts um, that I admired, whether they were some of my teammates or, you know, the Russian gymnasts, the Chinese gymnasts, the Romanian gymnasts, because 
you know, I think also one of the important things I learned from a young age is that it's important to be not only be a good sport, but to respect other people that are better than you and learning that of like, I'm not going to be the best at everything. And that's totally fine. But I think that's what helped me get better was that I would watch in awe and their back handsprings on beam, their back handspring layouts, the Chinese gymnasts just float. And Mihai and Sylvie would always say, imagine like someone is taking a picture of you in the air and you want to give them enough time to make sure that they actually can snap the picture. It's same thing with doing a leap on the floor, on the beam. You want to be able to take, have a beautiful photo of yourself with a nice 180 ah! split. Yeah, we do, except for most of us can't do it. Okay, so okay. you know how when there's gymnastics competitions <laughs> and the competitors will yes. be like, okay, like, you know, Allie needs a 14, or no, that's too low. Allie needs like a 15.75 to win <laughs> this. Or to, okay, fine, 15.55 or 15.5 to get on the podium or to win whatever. Was there a time where like in some major competition, and again, I don't know who it was, and maybe you love the person, whatever, <laughs> but like where you got your personal best that you did not necessarily think that you could do, or maybe you never even got it, and then you fucking won, or got second or third. Or maybe you just placed higher than the person who you loathed if it wasn't on the podium. So just so you know, I am not aware of what scores I need to get. I don't ever watch the scoreboard. And I learned that lesson when I told you about at nationals when I got so excited and mm. I fell on the floor because it just isn't really good for me. It didn't work for me. Everyone's different. Some people like to watch yeah. the scoreboard. I personally am not a scoreboard watcher. However, I would say... There was a couple of times in my career where I would compete and I would be really surprised with seeing myself high up on the podium or seeing myself on the scoreboard and seeing my name up there. It was really uh, exciting and surreal. I would say there's a lot of, of uh, moments like that, but I think what makes it, I was so shocked was because I didn't really watch my scores. So... I think just in general, though, some of the coolest things are being able to compete with some of my idols, like Catalina Ponar. Uh, and, <laughs> um, so I actually competed in the floor final in 2012 with the 2004 uh, Olympic floor champion and the 2008 floor champion. And so that was just so cool because those were my idols, Sandra Espasha. Uh -huh. And Catalina Ponar. Uh -huh. And so that was just so cool. It's so cool to be able to be alongside some of the the women that inspired me to want to go to the Olympics. It's so cool. So I think that's what's really cool. And just trying to, I have to like check myself and play it cool because I have to get ready to compete. <laughs> that is so cool. Except, yeah. And then in that instance, you love those gymnasts, but that's just really cool. I love that so much. It's so busy. I did not realize that in 12, the 2004 and 8 floor fight, like gold medals were there. Uh, what a Yeah, fierce... it's so cool. Oh my God. When I was in, um, I used to do this visualization technique where you take like, it's like your superheroes, like um, it's like your personal Spice Girls, like you visualize them like coming in. That's like such a fierce trio, like the three of you, like 2004, 8, 12. And then in that world, Simone would have been 16. Like what like fierce yes. power ladies. I love that. Yes, I know. And who who won in uh, 2000? Oh, that was 2000 was the Aminar. <laughs> was that Aminar and um and 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 that one girl who got her all around taken away for the oh, Sudafed? Aminar. Oh, I love Simona Aminar. Yeah, she's yeah, yeah, she's incredible. Oh my gosh, I forgot about that. The who, whole drama. Yeah, that, who was who was oh, um, Remember the vault table in 2000? Yes, was too wrong? low. But uh, her her last name starts with an R. 
the girl that won. And 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 everyone was like, give her her gold medal back. Oh, Andrea Radikon. Radikon, yes. Is that how you pronounce her last name? Did she, was she the one, they took it away from her? Yes, and it's because, and they, because oh. she didn't have it in her pee for the um, team and not for the vault. And it was literally like a Sudafed. Like it was not a performance. She had like allergies. Like it's like some random thing, like how Elaine, like, you know, tested positive for heroin in Seinfeld because she was eating poppy seed muffins. It was like that, but the Olympics and gymnastics. I th- I was, let me see how old I was. I was six when that happened. So I think I watched it when I got older. I was like obsessed with, I want to go watch the 2000 Olympics. Now. We need to. And also Lilia Porcapaiva. Let's just watch it on FaceTime together. Yeah. Oh, that's my, she's my favorite. Oh. That's what I was going to tell you. See, I, of course, love the American gymnasts. Love them. But I, my favorite, favorite gymnast was Lilia Porcapaiva. She won the 1986 all-around final and floor final. And yep. just her Floratine, her tumbling passes are so unique. She was so powerful, but also so elegant, like a ballerina. She was incredible. Well, I will tell you that there's three... I've never met her either. Uh, I still haven't met her. You've got to meet her. But I will tell you that her and... um, her and then Svetlana Horkina and um, yeah. and um, and Aliyah Mustafina are the three non-American gymnasts who always like penetrated my cold heart to non-American gymnasts. Be- Aliyah's was because of her eye makeup and Svetlana was because of her <laughs> daring short haircuts and she like loved to wear gel. And Lilia was because of her double front <laughs> punch because it was so fucking good. Uh, uh, Lilia was... That just, double front yeah, punch is amazing. like nobody's business on floor in 96. I know. She looks just like she's floating she in the air. She could have done a double I, punch I, over me, and I'm six feet tall. I know. I want to watch the 2000 Olympics now let's because do it I on forgot FaceTime. they had. So during, yeah, let's do it. So during the uh, 2000 Olympics, for those of you that don't know, the vault was literally set at the wrong height. Two feet so too low. The gymnasts were falling. And so it's so dangerous. Yeah. and so they, so they allowed some of the girls to vault again. It was during the all-around final, yeah, right? Yeah, and what happened was Svetlana Horkina was predicted yes. to win, and she had fallen on vault really hard because it was set too low, but she was first to go on bars, which was her best event, and they didn't tell her that she was going to get to redo vault by the time she'd gotten on bars, and then she was so upset she fell off bars, so then it didn't even really matter that she got to redo vault because... Yeah, such that was a she's she's like an epic gymnast that didn't get an all around medal out of really bad luck. Just talking about, you know, Mm. what that's really interesting. Ah, okay, so now we're the part um, in the podcast where Mm. it's like yoga, like yogi, like yogini recess, where um, we really can talk about whatever we want for these last like two minutes. Um, Okay, slash, I do think obviously because I'm a gymnastics super fan, I love to talk about your gymnastics career, but I think. And obviously, I think so many people know what you have done post-gymnastics and what a fierce advocate you've been and how hardcore of a fighter you have been and truth teller and truth seeker, which I so look up to and I just think is absolutely fucking incredible. And I worship you for that. I think it's just amazing. Um, But I also think some of the work that you've done that is, you know, not on that front, just personally, that you shared more with me, just Mm. with you know, looking back on your career and just, you know, all the love and acceptance that you have found post-gymnastics, I think would be really Mm -hmm. fun to talk about, but you can talk about literally whatever you want. Yeah, of course. So first of all, thank you for the nice compliment. I feel the same way about you. I respect you so much for all the amazing things you stand for and for speaking your truth. And uh, I'm so lucky that we're friends. So thank you. You also give me really good advice. I don't think people realize like we call each other and you give me really good advice, which I really appreciate. Likewise. Thank you. And so, (laughs) okay. So 
I think it's so interesting because as I've talked about before, and I talked a little bit about earlier on the podcast, when I was younger, you know, or even a couple of years ago, it's like, if I didn't do well at a competition, it kind of felt like it was life or death or like my whole entire identity and self-worth was wrapped up in my results. And it's so interesting because now when I look back at the competitions where I didn't do as well, I just really look back at it as, as it was meant to be. And it was a learning experience. And I really do believe it's helped shape me into who I am. You know, those moments where I was fourth place. And I think it really taught me about being humble and recognizing that not everyone is going to like my gymnastics. You know, the judges are not going to always like everything that I do. Uh, and I think it also translates to like in life right now, you know, with being a public figure, it's like not everybody is going to like me, but I'm learning, you know, with, I think what's so, was so hard for me about that was that in gymnastics, it's like, we are taught that after you finish a routine, you look at the judges for their approval and to see if they like you. So I was taught from a young age to really value what other people thought of me. And so it's been interesting for me to learn that, you know, unfortunately, no matter, I could do as much as I could to please people and not everyone is going to agree with me or like me. And um, that's okay. But I think what I can control is that being the best version of myself and being kind and uh, just being as honest as I can. And I think that's really what I've learned over the last couple of years, which has been really helpful. But do you know what I mean? Is it hard for you sometimes to realize that you just, not everyone is going to like us. And that that's, we have so many people that we're lucky. I mean, you have so many followers on Instagram and I have a good amount of followers as well. And we're so lucky, but it's, it would be impossible for everyone to like us. And that's okay. Well, me hearing you say that makes me feel like, well, I'm just so obsessed with you that I can't imagine. I don't know. Whoever hasn't liked your gymnastics, I'll go Tanya Harding them right now. Like, I just, it's like the craziest thing I've ever heard. I know, I know. That's like, it's the opposite of what you said. I got it. It's like, I get it. I get it. But it's just if someone. I've learned that. I, I go ahead. Sorry. Just I'm obsessed with you. So, but yes, I love that you said that. And it's true. There's more important things in life than being a good athlete. And that's what I've learned. Of course, my gymnastics career is so important to me. And I'm so grateful for all the amazing things that it's taught me and the friendships that I've made from it. And I've met so many incredible people from it, including you. But I think what really matters that I've learned is like winning gold medals I don't believe it actually makes me happy, you know, because if, if you're not enjoying the journey and the process of it, winning a gold medal is not going to fix not being happy and not loving what you do. So I've just really learned now in this other chapter of my life, finding things that really make me um, feel joyful and that I'm really passionate about. And so I just feel like I'm really trying to take and still processing all of that now of what I've learned from my gymnastics career. And I'm lucky that I have so much of my life ahead of me, um, which is really exciting. But I just feel like in a good way, I'm like overwhelmed with how much I can take from gymnastics and put it into the rest of my life. I mean, and I just can't wait to see, I think what you have done post gymnastics and your advocacy and how you use your platform to just inspire recovery and self-acceptance and love and truth-telling, I just think is so amazing. And I hope more people do it. And thank you so much for talking to me. And I love you so much. And I just love you so much. Thanks for coming on Getting Curious. I love you too. Thank you so much for having me on. Ah, 
Thanks for listening, everyone. Yes! You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Van Ness, and my guest this week was gymnast and six-time Olympic medalist, Allie Raisman. You'll find links to her work in the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on. Our theme music is Freak by Quinn. Thank you so much to her for letting us use it. If you enjoyed our show, introduce a friend and show them how to subscribe. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at CuriousWithJVN. Our socials are run and curated by Emily Bosick. Getting Curious is produced by me, Erica Ghetto, Emily Bosick, Ray Ellis, Chelsea Jacobson, and Colin Anderson, with associate production by Alex Murphy. 